Welcome to episode 168 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, here with your Marvel Studios news and commentary. And while I have your attention, just a reminder to make sure you're following us in the places you can. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at MCU Fan Show. And while you're at it, if you have the time, we would certainly appreciate it if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, this is the second version of the intro that I am recording for this show, and it has to feature an entirely new segment. I had this episode all done in the can and ready to go, and then we got some pretty massive Marvel news that I just had to add to this podcast because I couldn't let it wait until we would circle back to it on another episode. Had to go ahead and address it now before I make this episode available to all of you. So the news that you're going to hear me discuss later in the show is the big news that Disney made earlier this week, which is that they announced during a quarterly investor call that Mulan is going to be available on Disney Plus in many markets beginning September 4th via what they are calling a premier access offering. So I talked about that news. I had the good fortune of being joined by my friend Mark Hughes, whom you will hear later on in the show. We talk about the future implications that this has. I mean, the immediate implications with Mulan, but future implications on other Disney films specifically Black Widow, and then also just looking at the broader impacts of this news on the entire industry of theatrical distribution and exhibition. So that was the original version of the show, and you will still hear it, but now I have to, before I even get to that conversation with Mark, I have to talk about this massive news that Deadline reported on Wednesday afternoon, which is that Marvel Studios has found a director for Captain Marvel 2, and it's Nia DaCosta, and this is really exciting news. If that's not a name that you have heard before, don't worry, you will. Well, you already have because now she's been hired to direct Captain Marvel 2. But you may also find yourself becoming more familiar with her work in the near future. So there's already one really great example, a film called Little Woods, which is currently streaming on Hulu. It's a film starring Tessa Thompson and Lily James that Nia DaCosta directed, and it really is excellent. I highly recommend it, not just to become familiar with Nia DaCosta's work because she's the director of Captain Marvel 2. That's a good idea, but it's an even better idea to just go ahead and watch an excellent film, which Nia DaCosta made in Little Woods. So I recommend you check that out. And then there's going to be even more work from Nia DaCosta coming up very soon, hopefully. So she directed the new Candyman film, and that film was already supposed to be coming out over the summer. And then it was going to be in September, but it's been pushed a couple of times. The current release date is October 16th, and I've really loved the trailers that we've seen from this film so far. And one trailer in particular wasn't even so much footage lifted directly from the film. It was this shadow puppet trailer telling the story of Candyman that Nia DaCosta put out on her Twitter, at Nia DaCosta, back in June. And it was some really excellent storytelling in this very, very small format, but it was powerful, it was moving, and I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was genius. And so Nia DaCosta is a filmmaker who is definitely on the rise in the industry and certainly working on a Marvel Studios project like Captain Marvel 2, taking over a franchise that in its first film made over $1.1 billion dollars. Certainly, this is something, this is going to be the biggest film that Nia DaCosta has made. And I just love that she's getting this opportunity because I think she absolutely deserves it. And as happy as I am for Nia DaCosta, I'm just as happy, if not happier, for Captain Marvel. Because when we found out that we were going to have new directors on this film, 
or a new director with Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck not returning, I was excited about the idea. I love the first Captain Marvel movie, so it's nothing against Anna Boden or Ryan Fleck, but I was also excited about the idea of a brand new vision being brought to this franchise. It's something that Marvel has done successfully a number of times before where they've given a different filmmaker a di- an opportunity to reimagine the franchise a little bit as it's going. And we've seen Marvel do that very, very well in the past. And I think Nia DaCosta is going to bring a lot of excitement, a lot of talent, and a, lo- a unique voice and vision to the Captain Marvel sequel. And I really just can't wait to see what it is that she's going to do with it. And what's also really interesting about the Nia DaCosta news, and a lot of people have landed on this, is how many connections there are between Nia DaCosta, Captain Marvel, and also WandaVision. So as we found out earlier this year, Captain Marvel 2 is being written by Megan McDonnell. I would imagine that with Nia DaCosta also being a writer in addition to being a director, I'm guessing that she will also take a pass at the script. But Megan McDonnell has been writing Captain Marvel, and she got that job after being a staff writer and then story editor on WandaVision, And WandaVision features a character that we all know and we met as the young Lieutenant Trouble in Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau. That character is returning all grown up in WandaVision, being played by Tiana Paris. And Tiana Paris is in Candyman, which is being directed by Nia DaCosta. And so now we already have this working relationship between Nia DaCosta and Tiana Paris. And presumably, Tiana Paris will not just be Monica Rambeau in WandaVision. Monica Rambeau that character already has a connection to Carol Danvers, and I would imagine most likely that character is also going to appear in Captain Marvel 2. So those connections right now, at this point, they may not feel like it's anything more than trivial or, or just a coincidence, but it's probably ultimately going to be more than that. But the biggest part about this news, the best part about this news, is we have a franchise, a brand new or a relatively new franchise with just one film with Captain Marvel, that we're really excited about, that we can't wait to see how it's going to continue. And we have a brilliant filmmaker being brought in to bring her vision to this franchise and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I just can't wait to hear more about this movie, Captain Marvel 2, just as we continue to get more and more excited about it as we approach its July 8th, 2022 release date. And I know that seems a long ways off, and we have plenty of MCU projects coming our way in between now and then. But with a director change happening in the franchise, it was really important and certainly something that I think a lot of us fans were hoping for was that Marvel would find a great filmmaker to take over. And they have found exactly that in Nia DaCosta. This is awesome news. So getting into what this show was originally about, Disney made big news on a quarterly earnings call for investors on Tuesday, August 4th. And it's the kind of news that could have huge ramifications on the entire industry, or at least certainly within the Walt Disney Company, including Marvel Studios. Disney CEO Bob Chapek announced that the company is going to offer Mulan on Disney Plus beginning September 4th. Chapek referred to this as a premier access offering. Mulan will be available to Disney Plus subscribers in the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and a number of countries in Western Europe. The price point is going to be $29.99 in the U.S. That's in addition to the monthly or annual subscription fees for Disney+. Plus. So the price point is $29.99 in the U.S. That will vary slightly in other countries. Simultaneously, Mulan will be released in theaters in certain markets where there are no announced launch plans for Disney+, and theaters are open. 
A Disney Plus rep later confirmed to Kirsten Acuna of Insider that the $29.99 fee provides continuous access to the film for as long as customers remain subscribed to the Disney Plus service. So this is not a 48-hour rental or anything like that. It's not a one-time rental. You pay the $29.99 fee, and then from that point forward, Mulan is on your Disney Plus account as long as you remain subscribed. And the implications of this are potentially massive. Now, Bob Chapek did refer to this distribution strategy as a one-off for Mulan that wouldn't necessarily apply to any other films in the future, but there's plenty of reason to suspect that this won't ultimately be a one-off, and we will see Disney employ this strategy for future films, including Black Widow. And so to discuss this news and break down what it means for the future of Disney distributed films and the entire industry, I brought in a great friend who knows this business and consistently provides outstanding, reliable analysis. Please enjoy this conversation with Mark Hughes. Mark is a screenwriter. He is also a contributor over at Forbes. And that name probably sounds familiar to any of you who've been following me for any length of time in my career in podcasting. Mark's been on the Modern Myth Media podcast before he and I co-hosted the Superhero News Show for a couple of years. And I always enjoy speaking with him. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as well. And once it's over, make sure you follow Mark in the places that you can. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Hughes Films. And you can keep up with his articles on Forbes over at Forbes.com slash sites slash Mark Hughes. Enjoy the rest of the show. Mark Hughes, welcome to the MCU Fan Show, and thanks for joining us. Or me. Thank you for having me on. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's it's been a long time since we've had a chance to podcast together, and I'm happy to be doing this once again because it's you, but also because we have some really exciting news. So before we get into the future implications of this, Mark, I'm curious what your reaction was, because I feel like, I mean, personally, I felt violated because I immediately felt like yours and my cell phone conversations had been tapped by <laughs> the Walt Disney Company. There's a lot of stuff yep. that came up yesterday that was very similar to things that we've talked about offline on conversations, things I've talked about on podcasts, things you've written about over at Forbes. And I, I think it just points to some of this stuff being inevitable and necessary based on current market conditions. Um, But before we get into all of that, just your reaction to the news yesterday about Mulan being available on Disney Plus for $29.99 via this premium access offering. That's uh, or premier access offering. I got to use the right terminology. (laughs) My my initial reaction was probably exactly the same as yours. Yes, that uh, I was like, yep, we knew this. And it it kind of I, I felt uh and maybe that's selfish to say my first feeling was that I felt validated (laughs) that we had been saying this back when nobody else really, not nobody else or a few other people, but you know, we've been saying this for longer than we've been talking publicly about it. Right. And we knew this is where things are heading and it was inevitable even without a pandemic. And with the pandemic, it seemed like it was, it was inevitable that it would be much sooner. And if, if you and I are looking at the situation and these numbers, Knowing what we know, uh, not working at the company, then it seemed it seemed quite obvious that the people who are running things are looking at this and have come to the similar conclusions, and that this was just the logical outcome. So uh, yeah, I, I was, and and I wasn't, uh, and we can talk about that more later. But I wasn't disappointed that oh no, now I don't get to go see it in a theater because I miss theatrical, but also I just ordered that huge TV. So yeah. <laughs> So the news came out shortly after that. So I was like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> something excellent to test with it. 
Yeah, and I think that's an important thing as a quick qualifier out there is just you and I both love going and seeing movies in theaters and not just going to see movies in theaters in a general sense, although that part of it's true, but you and I also both place a premium on the best quality of theatrical exhibition visually as well as with audio. Yep. We're both big proponents of Dolby Cinema, but then also seeing movies in IMAX. I mean, with these types of movies, huge blockbusters, even for a film like Mulan, I know it's not Marvel, DC, or Star Wars, but these are the movies that, for Mulan, I mean, when everything was shut down, I was days away from my press screening. I know a lot of our colleagues in the press already saw the movie. I haven't, but I was days away from the press screening. I think I remember you and I texting about it, like, are you going to go? Because we were that was before everything was officially shut down, and we were at wondering whether or not we should even bother with that screening. But then I also had tickets, because I had bought them when tickets went on sale using my A-list reservation. I had tickets to see Mulan in Dolby Cinema yeah. on opening weekend, so I was very much looking forward to seeing the film on the big screen multiple times. And, you know, of course, that's just not going to be an available option anytime soon. And so I think that's when we're looking at these alternatives and these different distribution strategies, they're being dictated by market forces, by global circumstances. And so this, when we talk about this and we break this down and we analyze it, sometimes what's maybe a little bit different about the way you and I can discuss, discuss these things is we can do it dispassionately because we're not necessarily focused on what we want the most as fans and as moviegoers, but just also looking at and assessing the reality of the situation. And so with this one, as soon as theaters started shutting down, I was immediately thinking about, okay, how long would this go on before we would get to a point where the studios would consider premium video on demand options, digital release options for bigger movies? We saw it right away with smaller things like Trolls World Tour or Scoob from Warner Brothers. but the initial thought out there was there's no way this happens with Mulan. There's no way this happens with Black Widow or anything else. And there's no way this happens with Tenet. And Tenet's a different case altogether with Christopher Nolan. So I'll leave that alone. But for movies like Mulan and for Black Widow, and I know that Bob Chapek called this a one-off. I don't actually believe that. And I'll explain why as we go on. But a, a part of this always felt like a, a very strong possibility because. The yep. longer studios were going to need revenue at some point, audiences were going to want new content at some point, and there was a delivery mechanism that was already in place in order to provide that to audiences, and it just kind of makes sense. And right from the jump, there was an episode of the show that Paul and I did back in March talking about different options for Black Widow and saying, PVOD streaming, this is going to be an option. This is something that's on the table. And as you said... You and I had our own conversations about it without being able, without having access to the numbers to actually crunch the numbers yeah. and come up with the different contingencies and scenarios. But the point all along that we had been making was that the studios were doing that. The studios were crunching the numbers and figuring out the scenarios and the contingencies of how long they could wait to get these movies out there and start making money on them, as well as what the delivery options would be to get them in front of customers and how to best maximize their returns on it and build their brand value. So I felt like all along Disney was coming up with these types of plans and it was just a matter of getting to the point where they felt like there was another option that was more worthwhile than just waiting for theaters. And they finally reached that point with Mulan. So even though now some of the conversations, well, they did this with Mulan, they'll never do this with Black Widow. A lot, of those, a lot of the same people saying that are the same people who didn't think that this would happen 
with Mulan in the first place. Yep. And Mulan's a more expensive movie, I think, than Black Widow. We don't have a budget on Black Widow. We don't have an officially published budget for Mulan, but Mulan's somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 million. And based yep. on Marvel Studios solo film trends, Black Widow is probably less than that. Black Widow is probably somewhere between 165 and 185, uh, 165, 185 million dollars. <laughs> so if it's a less expensive movie, then it's actually easier for it to get its money back. And it might actually be a more anticipated movie with the Marvel branding. But we'll talk about Black Widow in a second as I'm rambling here. But uh, the, what Disney is doing right now, I totally understand why they're making that call. And I look at it separately from my own personal desire to see movies in theaters. But I also have another personal desire, which is to just plain be able to see the movies. And now we're going to have that option with Mulan. Yeah, that's I, I think something one thing I would say to people, first of all, is anyone who was telling you that the theaters weren't still going to be shut down or who was telling you that. Mulan wasn't going to that they weren't going to start putting stuff on VOD because it just wasn't viable or who told you Mulan wasn't going to go. They're not critically analyzing the situation and coming to the right conclusions. They don't apparently understand how a lot of the numbers in Hollywood work or if they understand it, they it's a misunderstanding rather than a real understanding. Uh and I think there's a lot of people who just can't get past the mystique of the situation. They just they look at it and they think there is no way a studio is going to release a blockbuster branded IP on video on demand because in their minds they're still thinking of the biases we all tend to have about the difference and the distinction between a theatrical release versus, release versus a straight to VOD release. They're not considering that audiences don't make that same distinction anymore and it's increasingly unlikely for audiences to make that distinction anymore so the atmosphere and the environment in which people do pay-per-view and rentals last year is not remotely the situation we're in it's not even the situation today with mulan that it was with the trolls movie right just a, you know a few months ago you and i back in february and march um, but when i first got sick mm -hmm. which was uh, the evening before Valentine's Day is when I first came down with symptoms and got sick, and I was sick for nine months. But those first few weeks in at the end of February and in early March, when you and I were discussing it, I have text messages, and we talked on the phone about this. Mm -hmm. And we were already conscious of the fact that, yes, they will hold on to some of these movies for a certain amount of time in case there's a chance of a reopening. But there was a line after which holding back, you're not costing yourself money in the long run up to a certain point. After a certain point, it's time to either poop or get off the pot, you know, and there's a line and they have passed that with Milan now. They can't just continue not to release it or just do a limited the they needed to move forward and they have an opportunity to do that internationally. And then so, hey. We can do that and then mix with video on demand through our streaming service. The right. revenue you're talking about, streaming revenue plus the VOD cost and the international box office. Is it going to be as much as a blockbuster summer opening weekend? No. Is it going to be much bigger than anyone anticipates video on demand? Yes. Is it going to set a record? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's I think anyone who's denying that does lacks the ability to evolve their thinking and their understanding of these numbers and these situations as it changes over time, not just for the studios, but for 
in the in terms of what theaters can and can't do and in terms of how audiences perceive it. And that's the most crucial number in this whole equation is the audiences. That's mm-hmm. what's that's what has changed so much that this becomes a viable, smart move for Disney. And they knew that just as you and I did back in February and March. Things would change. Things would change with audiences and what audiences were and weren't willing to do. And I think that means we're going to see what they've done with Mulan happen as well with Black Widow, because I think Black Widow is going to cross that same line where, you know, because, as you know, we're going to talk about that. But based on costs, Black Widow probably has a little longer that it can hold out. But really what they're doing, they're not holding out because they're trying to figure out how to open that movie domestically. They're waiting that the extra time is while they figure out which where they need to open it internationally and when in order to correspond with this a video on demand offering. That's my guess at this point. Right. Yeah, because when Bob Chapek, Disney CEO Bob Chapek yesterday, he was asked about that during the call and he was asked Black Widow was one of the films mentioned by name by the person asking the question is in looking at what's happening for Mulan, is this something that will apply to future releases, including potentially Black Widow? And Chapek had said that they were viewing this situation with Mulan as a one-off. They weren't trying to, they weren't trying to say that this was a new business model with the theatrical window or anything like that. But he followed that up with, I think what really tells you that it's not necessarily going to be a one-off because after he said it was a one-off, then he said, we find it very interesting to be able to make a to, to be able to take a new offering, our premier access offering to consumers at that $29.99 price and learn from it and see what happens, not only in terms of the uptake of the number of subscribers that we get on the platform, but the actual number of transactions on the Disney Plus platform <coughs> that we get on that PVOD offering. So there he's telling you that, yes, Mulan is a one off. But they're also going to try and learn from it and see how much money they make, which means that if they're making enough money, then Mulan is only a one-off until it isn't, because then they realize that this works, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this with Black Widow. And I think this strategy is probably going to be very successful for them. I mean, I, I think yeah. that when you look at, <laughs> they're getting the best of both worlds here in terms of what's available right now. I mean, there's no best case scenario that any of us are living in at the moment, but in terms of what's available to them from a business standpoint. You have, the, you have Disney Plus as a platform that you can build in this premium video-on-demand transaction system with the, with the premier access, and you have that to be available in markets where theaters aren't open, or even if they're open, they're not really all that viable. Meanwhile, in other markets where Disney Plus is not available and theaters are open, like China is quickly becoming an example of that. There's no Disney Plus in China, but they do have theaters reopening. So if the largest movie market in the world, the U.S., is not going to be available, they have PVOD for the United States as well as other markets, but then they still have theatrical, what's left of theatrical anyway, in the second largest market in China. So they are going to get at least some box office revenue to also help supplement what they're getting from the premium video on demand. And there's more specific numbers that we can definitely throw out and break down, but just before we even get into the boring math part of it that makes everybody's head hurt, like just looking at just the, the basic scenarios here of how all of this is in play. And one more thing I would say is that this, this transaction portal, how they're doing this in Disney Plus, to have a, basically what amounts to a second paywall, 
not just the paywall that everybody has to have their subscription to Disney Plus, but have a, a separate individual transaction paywall for Disney Plus. That wasn't part of the app already. That wasn't part of the platform. They're building that into the platform. And it's not to say yes, that that's some, it's not to say that's some massive costly overhaul. I'm sure it's something that they can manage for a relatively small cost internally, but it's still a fairly decent sized initiative that I say is big enough that you don't do it for one movie. You do this because you feel like there's a really good chance that this is how you're going to be doing business for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree entirely. I think uh, that when we're t- when we're talking about uh, the di- the different factors to consider here, if if you think about Mulan, and that's a film that probably was going to make about what maybe thirty five percent of its box office domestically. The rest was going to probably be overseas. It was going to make about a third of its box office in the U.S. If that film hit two billion, we're going to take a big number. If that film hit two billion, the domestic haul would be in the seven hundred million range. Mm-hmm. Of that, Disney's cut of that would be three hundred and fifty million. Okay, if they're releasing on video on demand in North America through their streaming service, it's an audience that has already opted into being people who want Disney content who are going to pay a monthly fee at this time already, right. 64 million people worldwide who are getting that platform when the amount of actual new content is relatively a very small portion of what's on there. They want access to Disney stuff all the time. Most of them are families. That is an audience that is automatically already kind of leans in favor of so they're putting this in a video on demand in front of an audience that is already favorable to wanting the disney content yep it's more likely to have multiple people so the 30 dollar price point isn't gonna be that bad it's like their whole family's gonna watch it so i think we're gonna see and if trolls 2 can do over a hundred million dollars on video on demand What's Milan gonna do? On and that video was just, and that was just in the first. Honest. Yeah, and that was only in the first three weeks. I mean, yeah, and let's be real about mm-hmm. what that number looks like. Then, right? If Milan does two hundred million on video on demand instead of three hundred and fifty million, which would have been Disney's cut of yeah. the box office of that share, that portion that we're talking about here, that's pretty freaking close already. And in a pandemic situation where every day they wait, they're bleeding money, and they're having it's it's going to up their costs. They're sitting and waiting too long. Releasing it now makes sense. And they're not going to lose as much money, I don't believe, as people think they are. I think it's going to be bigger, and they're going to do that on that on Disney+, Plus. but it's eventually going to go video on demand for the public at right. large, too, and they're going to make more. I bet it can hit in the $250 million. I won't be surprised if it does $250 million to $300 million on video on demand once it's everywhere, and it ends up making up a large portion of what it would have made otherwise. I totally agree with that. I think that one of the issues that I have had in the analysis of some of this is that so many of the comparisons are based on pre-COVID box office, which is gone forever. So we're gone for the foreseeable future. And so there's no... it's a it's a false basis of comparison to say well they can't they can't make on premium video on demand what they would have made at the box office like well we don't know what the new box office is just yet and so 
I, I won't even I wouldn't want to use the phrase post COVID because we're not post COVID yet. So COVID box no. office <laughs> and and then transitioning into hopefully eventually post COVID box office. We don't actually know what that is. But there have been a number of consumer surveys that the trades have been publishing. They've been conducting and publishing again and again over the past few months. And consistently in those surveys, I've seen at least 30% of moviegoers saying that they either are not going to go back or they are unlikely to go back anytime soon after theaters reopen. And so if we look at a film like Mulan and we say that it was going to make a billion dollars before any of this happened. Maybe it would have made more, but I'll just go ahead and I'll, I'll say a billion. It was tracking for 80 in the US, so a billion would have been tough, but I think it probably could have got there. So even if we say a billion and we shave 30%, we lower the ceiling by 30%, we're down to 700 million, which means that Disney's share, if they're on average getting a 50-50 split from theaters, I know sometimes Disney does a little better, but keeping the math easy, 50-50 split, that's 350 million to Disney, which for them, they can they can surpass that total by getting 12 million because 12 million people buy 12 million Disney Plus subscribers paying 30 bucks each gets them to 360. So they could probably match that theater total. That would be they have six as of Monday, August 3rd, they have 60.5 million subscribers. So if one out of every five households that subscribes to Disney Plus will buy Mulan, now that's a, not an insignificant percentage, but if one out of every five subscribes to Mulan or buys Mulan, that's a solid profit for Disney. That's a solid win for Disney. But even if it's less than that, and we just focus on not losing money, they spent probably around $200 million is what it's what's been reported for Mulan, 200 to 220, somewhere around there. Marketing costs, their marketing costs going forward will actually be less before than a theatrical (laughs) release. But with Mulan, they already spent a lot of that money. They already held a premiere. They already had a press junket. So they, ha- they had a lot of the normal theatrical things that you spend money on. That's very expensive. And they'll obviously have to spend money for television advertising to let people know about this premiere access offering. So even if we say that the combined production and promotion of Mulan costs $300 million, they can still get there. They can still get there to at least break even on the film or take a minimal loss on the film. And at this point, that's acceptable if you're Disney because you're, you're doing multiple things here. Not only are you getting this revenue on Mulan, but let's also remember every brand new subscriber who signs up for Disney Plus, in the US anyway, that's seven bucks for their monthly fee for Disney Plus, maybe a little less if they take yep. the annual package. But that's also however many people sign up, that's 30 bucks plus the seven for their first month subscription, not accounting for however many months they stay afterward. So there's a lot of money coming in here for Disney and it promotes Disney Plus because it's the PVOD offering in Disney Plus markets is exclusive to Disney Plus, including the US, meaning you can't buy this from Vudu, you can't buy this from iTunes or anything like that. But that also means, by the way, you're not giving out 20% to Vudu. You're not giving out 20% to Fandango now or whoever else. Right. I know there's some money that goes to streaming platforms like Roku and Apple TV and Amazon for Fire Stick and, and Chromecast. I know there's some of that stuff, but I don't know how all that those revenue splits work, but I know there's significantly less than, I'm quite confident there's significantly less than 20% oh, yeah. share for every individual rental um, or PVOD purchase. So if they're keeping 100% or almost 100%, they don't have to actually make as much in order to get there. I mean, 
if my, five million profit margin is over 90 i'm pretty yeah. sure it's over 90 percent. i mean if five if five million people if five million disney plus subscribers out of 60.5 million if five million of them do mulan that's already 150 million dollars that already gets them halfway to probably breaking even on the film and then if they can get 10 million so basically one out of every six subscribers to disney plus if they'll buy mulan then disney will probably at least break even on the movie and that's not bad at this point. And even though you could say, well, there's the opportunity cost of all the money that they could have made if they held out for theaters. A, we don't actually know how much money that is. We don't. And when I say, right. when, I, when I took 30% off the ceiling of the box office for Mulan, that was, I would say, a generous estimate because it, it might actually be a lot more than that as far as how much the ceiling yeah. is lowered. So we don't know what those numbers are. And we also don't know when they could get those numbers. They can't get 70% of what box office used to be this year. That's gone. Maybe they could do that sometime next year. Best case scenario. But there's also such a thing called present value, where a certain amount of money now is better than even more money later because you could reinvest that money and make it work for you. Right. And a dollar's worth more today than it will be next year. Because yeah. inflation, I mean, yeah. literally, like, that's... Yeah. If you sit on a dollar, you lost money next year yeah. by sitting on it. We already had discussed and knew and had talked about privately and publicly the fact that this was inevitable because of the fact that, well, the, you're not splitting the revenue when you when you do the math on right. how much, you know, a billion dollar movie, what a billion dollar movie would make in normal theatrical times and what the studio's share of that is compared to being able to make content, release it on your own platform. You're not splitting it with anybody. You're going straight to the consumer. Your marketing costs are almost non-existent. Well, not non-existent, but compared to what you pay when you're doing premieres and junkets right. and you're having to do, I mean, these studios are spending, I don't even know if people realize like a hundred to 120 million is, a, is not at all a high or a shocking uh, marketing budget for these kind of blockbusters. They're spending that kind right. of money. They're spending at least what, a good way to look at it is for an for an average movie, just an average movie. Whatever the budget is, they're going to spend at least fifty percent of that amount for marketing. Uh, for these big movies, you know, big Marvel films or Star Wars films, they're spending a hundred million or more dollars at a time to market these things mm -hmm. so when you figure and that's told obviously like for junkets and advertising and everything and you know the the pna worldwide is what we're talking about here when it's just on your streaming platform they're not going to spend a quarter as much marketing these movies right. they're not going to spend a quarter of that to market them anymore and the budgets can be lower and i know a lot of people raise their you know they're like well i don't know I guarantee you, when we see WandaVision and we see Falcon and the the Falcon and Winter Soldier, mm -hmm. when we see these Marvel shows, it's going to be even closer to theatrical than what we've seen. The Mandalorian was the first one, and it was so great. But go, you're it's going to just keep getting better and better exponentially because it's going to have to, right? And the it's still going to be cheaper. You'll be able to produce instead of. $200 million for a movie, you can make that movie for $100 million on streaming, and you're not spending the money on marketing. So guess what? You don't have to make a billion-dollar box office equivalent off video on demand. Right. When your costs are suddenly half of what they would have been, you know, you can afford to make less. 
it doesn't look as sexy on the balance sheet as, you know, the billion and $2 billion outcomes. But you know what? You're going to get those from your tent poles. For your video on demand content like this, at the end of the day, all these folks, and I may, if I have egg on my face, I'll, I'll gladly admit that I was wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think all these folks that are insisting that Mulan can't make close to what it would have made, I don't think it's going to make box office, what it would have made at box office. But I think it's going to make a hell of a lot more than any of the naysayers that think it's going to, oh, that it might not, it might only right. do a hundred million. You're fooling yourself if you think Mulan is only going to make a hundred million on video on demand. That movie is going to make two to three times trolls, what trolls made on video on demand. It's going to do 300 plus, I think 250, as I said before, 250 to 350 million. Absolutely. And it's going to cover. The spread on that they're going to cut that they're going to do that amount so the question becomes what's the international box office numbers you know the and, and that's where really the nitty-gritty of it becomes is a limited theatrical release plus video on demand the right way what do you get if it's just video on demand what if there's no accompanying theatrical we're not right. there yet but that's the next step disney is taking the steps uh, I suspect they'll be the ones to take the next one. But then on the other hand, Netflix is probably sitting over in the corner or on the couch saying, what do you mean nobody's done that yet? That's what we freaking do all the time. We, release, <laughs> we make movies and we release straight to streaming. And guess who still was the ruler of streaming? Who's still on top? Right. Who still beats expectations? Who is still going to top 200 million subscribers by the end of this year? You know who. We're right here. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, I think in looking at the situation here, as far as how this applies to Black Widow, I think we're going to see something probably very similar for Black Widow just because of how close it is. Black Widow is due in theaters in the U.S. on November 6th. I know there's some international releases on October 28th, but domestically currently set for release on November 6th. And that's only two months after Mulan drops on Disney Plus September 4th. I don't foresee the situation changing drastically between September 4th and November 6th. And so in looking at the viability of movie theaters in the United States, the biggest market still, particularly for Marvel movies where there's maybe not always, they're they're still, they still make most of their movie, their money internationally, but you still see on average a lot stronger domestic performance for Marvel and other superhero films. And so with the domestic market still being in a very weak state or virtually not open in the biggest markets within the U.S., I think this same type of move will be just as necessary for Black Widow. And while you can say that maybe Black Widow would be okay just to wait for just wait it out, Mulan's already proven that Disney isn't going to just keep waiting it out for all of these things. And Black Widow would be a massive hook. And it also fills a gap because... What was supposed to be on Disney Plus this month? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now there's no new Marvel Studios content on Disney Plus this month. And Falcon Winter Soldier, they have to go and finish shooting it. So it's not going to be there in September. Most likely not going to be there in October either. So the first opportunity to have a brand new MCU story on Disney Plus might actually be Black Widow. And instead of it falling in line with everybody who's already paying you seven bucks a month, now they're going to give you an additional 30 in order to watch Black Widow on Disney Plus and have access to it on their account. And the sense of urgency for Black Widow is going to be real because people like to keep up with the MCU and be able to talk about it as the universe evolves and as the story evolves. And so the urgency will be even greater 
than it is for a film like Mulan. And so I think Black, as well as I think Mulan can do via this distribution strategy, I also fully expect that Black Widow would do even better via this distribution strategy because of the nature of the MCU and the fandom around the MCU. And so I would be very surprised. I know there are some people who say that this isn't going to be a sign of anything with Mulan. I disagree with that. I think Bob Chapek, while he described Mulan as a one-off, he also acknowledged the very real thing that's happening of them looking at what's happening with Mulan. And, but I, I still think, I kind of feel like regardless, I don't think what happens with Black Widow totally hinges on Mulan. I don't think that nope. even if Disney doesn't do as well as they would like to with Mulan, I don't think it's going to be an outright financial disaster to where it scares them away from ever trying this again. What you need if you're going to come up with a new distribution model, as Bob Chapek said they weren't doing, but they kind of are, if you're trying to come up with a new business model for windowing your movies, you need as much data as you can. You can't get enough data from one trial, right? Yep. That's not how data yep. works. You need multiple trials. And so the and next- this is Disney. They're not just- Right. The idea that they're just going to throw this out there and take a risk and see what happens. Yeah. Disney doesn't do that. They've That's already, not what they're doing. They've, they've already been- the numbers. They yeah, know what exactly. the minimums and maximums are. Exactly. They know where they're going to fall. They know what to expect, and they made the choice to do it because they decided that those numbers were acceptable. The question is, are we going to be on the high end or the low end of what we expect when we decide that this is what we want to do? They already know they're going to get what they want. It's how much of what they want. That's the only question now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I I think that with Black Widow, they are absolutely going to go through this strategy. I would be, at this point, I would be shocked if they don't do it, and I would be shocked because one of one of, only, one of only a couple things, well, <laughs> one of only a couple things has happened. Either Mulan has been a complete disaster via this strategy, which I don't anticipate, or the, the COVID-19 situation within the United States drastically improves, uh, ba- that reverses any and all trends that we've been seeing over the past several months. So none of those things feel all that likely. Therefore, I think the most likely scenario is that, yeah, it will still be necessary for Disney to release movies this way come November 6th, and I don't think they will opt to slide Black Widow back. Now, they might slide it back a little bit. I mean, there's something to be said for for the timing of the PVOD release. So Mulan, it's no coincidence that this is coming out now on Labor Day weekend. So with people maybe not being able to, and certainly should not be, going out and partying on Labor Day weekend, here's something to do at home, and Disney makes 30 bucks a pop on it. So if, you, if we're looking at Black Widow, maybe you don't drop it the weekend of November 6th, but Thanksgiving weekend might not be yes. a bad time to do that. Although we might see Black Widow on November 6th, and we would still see Soul, the Pixar film, on Thanksgiving weekend. So there could be some reshuffling of dates slightly in order to prime, have the better PVOD release dates based on Disney's calculation and their market research. But I don't think we're going to see another major delay to Black Widow. I think we're much more likely to see a similar release strategy to what we're seeing with Mulan. But it might adjust a little bit, Mark. And I think that's the part where I would agree that since this is a first time for Disney, I think this is the main template for how they're going to do things, but that doesn't mean that they won't make adjustments based on what right. they learn and based on what becomes available. So as more theaters come online, they might be willing to do day and date releases in some markets to say it's going to be available via, D- via Disney Plus for people who want to stay home, 
But for places where they can go to the theater, it's also going to be an option there as well. So we may see more of a combination of PVOD and theaters, and we may see different blends of that than what Disney is doing with Mulan. I think uh, uh, I'll say first, I, I, I think it's inevitable it's going to happen because uh, Black Widow is this, the scheduled release is after a whole lot of states are going to try opening their schools mm-hmm. and COVID's going to spread and there's going to have to be a new shutdown. And when that happens, schools are going to have opened and the flu season's going to start. I don't think there's any scenario where schools opening too soon and flu season corresponding while we're still in the middle of a pandemic situation, there's no one is going to convince me that that is a scenario. That's a situation where theaters are going to open, stay open and everything's going to be fine. It's going to be a disaster is what it's going to be. And uh, Black Widow is going to be releasing essentially in the midst of a time when people are going to be even more likely to not go to theaters and are going to be more likely to need home content. Right. And they're going to be there to cash in on that. That's what's realistically going to happen. I also think that uh, the I think the numbers off this video on demand, I think it's going to it's going to break expectations. Mm I think it's going to do 250 to 300 million in its first three to four weeks easily. And I may even feel foolish. I feel like I'm understating it. I feel like it's going to do 300, maybe 300 million in the first couple of weeks is what I'm thinking it could do. But at the very least, in the first month, it's going to hit 250 to 350 million. That's that's my low balling it. And when that happens and everyone sees you can make hundreds of millions of dollars by releasing a blockbuster directly to consumers on their gigantic home entertainment systems, then it's suddenly going to be a, oh, well, yeah, duh. And there's even going to be people who act like, oh, of course, all along, who right now are saying it won't work, but who like act like, oh, everybody right. knew that would work. That's what's going to happen. It's going to change everything. And all the other studios are going to start rethinking their plans and wondering how do we do what Disney just did, because that's the future. Yeah, that's what's going. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, there are a couple other things I want to make sure that we hit on here. Let's start with we'll get to the broader industry impacts of how the other studios will react, how theaters will react. We'll get into that in a moment. I want to first address the price point, though, of twenty nine ninety nine, because I've seen some debate on this and. I can't I can't really be critical of this price for a lot of reasons, but maybe chief among them is when I talk about our phones being tapped, that was pretty much where we set our fictitious price of premium video on demand <laughs> stuff was 30 bucks. Yes. Because the logic in my mind was if Trolls World Tour can do just fine at $20, then yeah, movies like Mulan and Black Widow could easily get 30 and they might as well go for that. So I understand why Disney would charge that much. And more importantly, though, just as a consumer, I don't feel like that's a bad price. Maybe some of my perspective is is obviously informed by the point that you and I both live in Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, I can't go to a movie with my wife and spend less than 30 bucks on tickets. And that's just tickets. Exactly. You know? So that's where that's why the price point made sense to us. We yeah. were like, what would what would we, what would it cost us to go for us and one person with us to go see a movie at right. IMAX at night? 
thirty dollars. Okay, oh, IMAX. That's your price well, that's point. it's pretty that's, obvious. <laughs> yeah, that's standard theater. IMAX. That's going to be forty. I mean, every yeah. every IMAX and Dolby that I know of out here. If you're going to an evening showing, then you're going to be paying twenty one, twenty two dollars a ticket, at least twenty bucks. Like more of an like nation a national as a yeah. national average, it's like what is it twelve to fifteen yeah, and bucks? That's, for and that's and that's just for. Right. For two adult tickets at night at an IMAX, that's boom. That, and right. I think that's your number. You and, go with that number. And that's just for couples. It, obviously, the more people you have in your household, the better the value because the, the lower the cost per person. So, you know, it's not that bad. And that's, of course, and that's before I get into saving money on concessions. Now, the way I've been able to spend less money on movie tickets is one, press screenings are free and that helps. But when I don't make it to a press screening or sometimes for quite commonly for Marvel movies, because I want to see them way more than one time. The way I'm managing that is I have an A-list subscription, but that in order to have that accommodate myself and my wife, that's $48 a month because it's $24 a month for each of us. And so I haven't had to pay my A-list subscription for almost five months now since AMC theaters were closed. So with not spending that money there or the concessions on the trips that we would make to AMC, I mean, that's where the money comes from. That's where I carve out the money in my own budget in order to be able to justify $30. Now, is that $30 experience the equivalent of $40 to see a Marvel movie in a Dolby Cinema or an IMAX? No, it's not. My home theater can't compete with that. Um, And there's nothing I can do to make my home theater compete with that. But still, it's worth it because there is an offset that works in my favor when you talk about the convenience of it, the safety of it, the availability of it, because theaters just flat out are not an option right now for me. Uh, they're not right. even open even if I wanted them to be in L.A., and I don't want them to be in L.A. because that's a bad idea right now. So with all of that, and of course, as I said, the convenience of not, and the other, the last thing there is the unlimited viewings. I don't just right. pay this 30 bucks for a 48-hour window. I give Disney my twenty nine ninety nine. And I get this brand new blockbuster, be it Mulan or a brand new Marvel movie in Black Widow, and I can watch it as many times as I want. Right. That's not a bad deal at thirty dollars. It's a if you're gonna stay subscribed, it's the equivalent of owning the digital copy of a brand new Marvel movie. Right. I mean, that's what it is, and that's why I think. And when we talk about the thirty dollars, uh, if you don't value the movies, okay, but then why are you in this discussion? If you're somebody who's like, <laughs> right. I don't really care enough about movies to pay for it anyway, guess what? You weren't somebody who was going to go pay $15 for a ticket to see it in 3D IMAX either. So what? you don't have a dog in this hunt. The people who are saying, we're stuck at home, we're not able to work, I can barely afford it, we can't even pay our rent, I can't afford that, I get that, but right. that's a separate conversation and I see people getting angry at some of us who've mentioned this or who've said, I would pay that much that are like, yeah, but I'm struggling. I can't. Well, you also, I understand, but that's true of anything we talk about then. That's true of, right. I ordered pizza tonight, or I'm going to drink, uh, I'm going to wine tonight, or we just went to this concert, or I just bought a bunch of some stuff on iTunes. Whatever it is, you, you know, if, if you're not getting mad at every person that expresses their own life, and that they're buying a right. thing to deal with, then you really shouldn't be angry and expressing that uh, to people that are talking about spending it on a movie. Because really, you're, what you're really complaining about is you don't agree with what they spend their money on at a time when money's tight for some people, for a lot of people. And then we can all just judge each other's spending practices, I guess. But 
I don't really see a point in that. People that so I think the thirty dollar price point is reasonable. Uh, I think that if anything, when it goes wider, I don't think that the price point will be lower. I think the price point will be higher, and I think that does make sense. I see a reason for saying, okay, on an initial offering, it's thirty dollars on Disney Plus. Now we're going wide for that first couple of weeks. I could see making it forty to fifty bucks initially, and then dropping the price gra- as as everything does eventually. But uh, th- I, I I don't understand why there's even a debate about the price point at this point. Why are they charging that? Because they can, and because they're going to make money, and because it's perfectly reasonable, and because it's thirty dollars for a brand new Marvel movie that you will essentially own from the day that it's visible to the public. That's why. That's why, because it's a reasonable price. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly the issue of affordability at a time where there are going to be more and more people every day having financial constraints, I think that's also something that Disney would have just in doing good business would have factored into their pricing because they know that there are things that they have to be able to account for and that people have to be able to afford it, which is maybe why the price is at $30 instead of 40 because 40 is still a bargain for like a family of four, for example. $40 for a family film like Mulan, $40 is still cost effective, but 30 maybe makes it a little easier. And yeah, if you can't afford the $30, I wouldn't be critical of somebody for not being able to afford the $30. But if we're talking about people not having enough disposable income to cover a PVOD purchase, they also might not have enough disposable income to buy movie tickets either if theaters were an option. Right. So that issue of pricing and affordability, I think, is equal across the board. Exactly. And so like, I think that applies to movie theaters. It applies to PVOD. And as you said, it applies to pretty much everything. So I'm not really going to worry about, you know, not everybody needs to worry about everybody else's spending habits and purchasing decisions. Right. I do think that if we're looking at the value equation of movies and how much movie tickets cost and how much this PVOD offering is relative to the cost of movie tickets and it's a $30 flat fee regardless of how many people are going to watch it in the household so even if you've got seven people you live with that you're paying 30 bucks as opposed to paying for seven individual movie tickets I still think that ultimately works out in most consumers favor from a pricing standpoint and I think there will be enough people who can afford this who will want to do this who will want to make this purchase to make it worthwhile and ultimately prove Disney correct in having this be having this be an available option as well as the price that they are charging for it and this is something where i agree with you things could fluctuate depending on the movie depending on how the situation evolves from here and looking at the broader aspect of movie theaters now and the other studios what was so inter- one of the things that was most interesting to me about this announcement was a question that didn't get asked because this announcement was made I went into that call. Uh, I went into that call yesterday or the day before recording this, wondering when it, when is the question going to come up during the Q and A portion of the investor call? When are they going to ask about the AMC, the AMC theaters and Universal agreement from the prior week? That has to come up. What somebody's going to ask for Disney's response to that agreement? Nobody asked because Disney already came up, already announced their new plan. It didn't. The AMC Universal deal didn't even matter anymore because Disney had their new plan. Nobody even bothered to ask, and that was a question that everybody figured was going to be asked at some point during the call, and it wasn't. And 
it's very interesting with Disney in that I think with their phrasing of this as a one-off, I feel like that's why are they saying that? I feel like that's diplomacy more than anything else. Yep. They yep. don't want theaters to, although some of them already are, they don't want the theaters to instantly panic and say that Disney's not going to do business with us anymore or we're going to have zero exclusivity from Disney going forward and that's going to hurt our business. I think that Disney is trying to, in, in phrasing this as a one-off, they're trying to not be as threatening to the broader exhibition industry. But once they let this out and they have this offering to customers for Mulan, a lot of customers are just going to want this going forward. And what's also interesting, though, and this is where it benefits Disney, is it was reported by Variety last week that AMC reached out to the other studios to see if they want a deal like Universal got to shorten the theatrical window to 17 days. And the other studios didn't, but they were going to offer less favorable terms. And part of the terms that they get is AMC gets a share of the premium video on demand rental for Universal movies that are available for premium video on demand rental after 17 days and or less than the normal 60 to 90 day theatrical window. And Disney in doing and that by the way, that's Universal having to give a cut to AMC after also giving a 20% cut to whatever digital retailer facilitates the rental, Vudu, Amazon, whoever. Disney is now saying, well, we're cutting out third party retailers. We're not offering a share to the to the movie theaters. We're not offering a share to AMC on this stuff because they don't actually have to. And this is Disney kind of flexing their muscle here in that they don't have to offer anything. And now, as far as the idea of day and date releases, which is not part of the strategy that Disney's announced so far, I think eventually they do that. But the strategy they've done, they've taken here allows them to not have to do to not have to concede anything to movie theaters in order to get a shorter theatrical window. Because there was all no US theaters or none of the major chains in the US and the National Association of Theater Owners, as of this recording, none of them have responded to Disney's news about Mulan. None of them right. have. Which also tells you that Disney's in a more powerful position because those are the same organizations. NATO, AMC, Cineworld, which owns Regal, they all came out blasting Universal over Trolls World Tour. And they're not saying anything about Disney. And I think what you saw from theaters in Europe, where they're just saying, we'll give Disney day and date. We just want to have the option of showing the movie. We just want, we want, to, we want to be there for the customers who want the option of seeing the movie in theaters. That's what Disney's going to get now. I think they're going to get yeah. day and date from all of their theater partners because they're going to say that look, it's theaters at this point going forward are not going to be the way to see movies. They are going to be a way to see movies. Yep. And obviously that cre- that shrinks the overall size of that segment of the entertainment industry. And I totally get that. But we're also talking about a natural evolution that was taking place already and a pandemic that has accelerated the process by creating new necessities for everybody in order to effectively yep. o- conduct and, and operate their business. Well, I think what I think a, a big chess piece on the board that a lot of this analysis just ignores the the ones that are that that are kind of critical of Disney doing this and everything is Disney. None of the theaters, uh, none of the studios, I mean, but it's uh, Disney, especially being as big as they are. They don't even need the theaters. Honestly, let's be very frank here. They can legally own their own theaters now. If Disney wanted to, instead of giving a, 
essentially 50% of the domestic box office dollars to the theaters as, you know, a theaters are the entity that says, you made a product, you put the work in and created this, but you legally can't show it to people yourself in a theater building. We built a theater building. Now, if you want anyone to see your art, you have to give it to us and give us 50-50. I don't bash the theaters for that. It's a good business model, and I completely, it's fine, and I love movie theaters, okay? But Disney can own their own now, and Disney could <laughs> right. own their own movie theater for a hell of a lot less than it takes giving you all these theaters 50% of all of their billions of dollars of annual revenue. They don't need to split it with you anymore. They can build a theater. They can make it fully automated. You buy your ticket online or at a touch screen, go in automated machines for concessions, mm -hmm. go into movie theaters that have UV in the theater that's killing off the germs and that socially distances and you have to wear a mask and all that. They could open their own theaters, keep the revenue all of the ticket revenue, and they would make more money than they make by just giving it to pre-existing theaters right now. And the theaters are starting, I think, to realize they are in a vulnerable position where they can't just say, we will not screen your movie, and therefore you won't have an option to get it to the public. The public has a lot of options to get this stuff now, not just these theater chains. If right. they want to survive, they have to look at what studios are doing, figure out how to be a partner in that, and meanwhile, evolve into a new type of theater entity that can survive in a streaming subscription world. And the way to do that is not to get ticked off and yell at movie theater at studios that are putting stuff on video during a global pandemic when your theaters are closed. No, I completely agree with all of that. I mean, I think that when you look at the situation for theaters, they need to evolve. And this was stuff that I was talking about. Oh, geez, it's almost five months ago, which also sounds like 50 years ago at this point. With the way things are, I mean, I, I felt like it, what I was saying at the time, and I still feel this way, and I, I think theaters have just let a lot of time go by without really doing anything. And I know that they're leveraged right now because they don't have cash flow coming in, but some of them are taking on new debt. We'll take on even more debt since who cares if you go end up going bankrupt anyway, you're not going to pay it. So take on right. the debt that you have to and reinvent your movie theaters. I mean, yep. there's been concept art from different theater chains that are going to have like different pod-based systems for individual parties to go see movies. And I feel like that's what everybody should have been starting to do right away because even once there's if there's a vaccine for COVID-19 and if it works 100% and there's no uh, gaps there and even so, this is such a huge global event that it's going to be traumatic. People are going to Remember it. And even if there isn't a current virus that's out there that's threatening people's lives, people will still be worried about how long until the next one. I mean, this is such a significant thing right. that it is bound to impact consumer behavior for a very, very long time. Even yeah. if we're lucky enough to get to a point where this pandemic is no longer an issue, people will still be impacted by it in, across all elements of their lives, but particularly their behavior as consumers. And so, I would reimagine my business. And I think that there are different ways that, that theaters can go about it. And worrying about the theatrical window isn't really the way to go. And especially right. when you think about, even if there's a, a small, we talked about different ideas of a, a two-week theatrical window of exclusivity or whatever. If you had something like that, 
that could still work because if you're talking about who's going to go see movies in theaters anymore, it's the people who have the greatest sense of urgency to see something and also value the theater experience more than anybody else. So you just charge them more for it because that, yep. this is the audience that places a premium on it. So charge them that premium. That's how you can compensate for lower attendance. And everybody, what you said there is so exceedingly important too. Why do theaters care so much about day and date VOD? If it's not capable of replacing or generating the same type of revenue, why are theaters afraid of it? And why are they scared of why? Because it does make a difference because they know if it becomes normalized, it will significantly replace theatrical hypothetically. And if you're a studio, you have every incentive to replace the theatrical revenue stream with one that you don't share with anybody else. Right. But then that's just it. Right. But then at that point, and I totally agree with that, and I I think that's the way the market was already heading. And now we're accelerating that process. But I also feel like that in and of itself doesn't eliminate theaters. It changes what it changes what theaters are. Theaters are there as a niche experience. And if you want a niche experience, you pay for it. So because it's a premium thing, it's not something that everybody wants. It's not something that everybody needs. And so for in, in order for a company to have it make business sense, even for Disney, even for it to make, to make sense for Disney to own and operate their own theaters, those individual businesses need to be profitable. And in order to do that, since they would have presumably fewer seats, that, so they can't sell as many tickets and fewer people overall go, the price per ticket has to go up because you have to embrace the idea that this is a premium type of experience and you charge customers for it accordingly. But if you're talking about the people who place the highest value on theaters, and those are the people who are going to be coming back, they will pay that price. So I think there are different solutions here. But also for the theater chains, yeah, they probably need to look ahead and see that we can't have as many locations as we used to. We're going to have to consolidate, and we're going to have to change the way that movies play in our theaters. We're going to have to change the way seating is arranged in our theaters. And if they go about that and be proactive, And then, as you mentioned, partner with studios. I don't think other studios are going to do what Universal is supposedly giving AMC, which, according to Variety, while the the companies did not disclose the terms of their deal, Variety reported that Universal was going to give AMC 10% of premium video on-demand rental. There's no way Disney pays that. And I think the other studios would also balk at that because they'll realize they don't actually have to pay that. And, you know, the theaters don't have really don't have the power in this, particularly with Disney. If Disney made 40% of the domestic box office as they did last year, you can't, theaters can't boycott Disney just because Disney shortens the theatrical window. They can't right. afford to do it. They have to go ahead and play whatever Disney movies they can play and make the money that they can. But there's other ways to form partnerships here. If you don't object to the idea of premium video on demand because it's a reality of the situation that is only going to become even more and more prevalent. It's not going anywhere. Uh, it's only going to be more widespread across the industry. So if you accept that and you realize, well, how do we make this business still work for us? Then you work back with the studios, not necessarily to get a share of the PVOD rental because Disney's not going to give you that. Uh, or if they do, it's going to be a very small share. What you might have more success in looking for is maybe you get a better cut of the theatrical revenue. So instead of getting 50-50, maybe you get 70-30 in your favor. Or again, you charge more for customers who are going to see movies in theaters and you create joint ventures with theater, with, with studios to create marketing synergies within that. So do you try and make the most of it to really make the event out of going to see the movie at the theater? 
And there are ways to do that and ways to manage it in order for the, the business to continue existing. Yes, it's going to be in a smaller way than it used to be, but that part of it is inevitable. So it's really more about how do we build ourselves for long-term survival, for long-term profitability? And that means it's, it's going to be as a smaller industry overall, as far as movie exhibition. There's just no way around that. Yeah, the, the, it, there's going to have to be some contraction and they're going to have to cut costs with, I think, automation. And I know there's a lot of people who oppose that and who are like, it puts people out of jobs. But whenever we have a major move towards automation, there's an initial downside like that. But then ultimately it creates other opportunities and other jobs. And the idea is that we are advancing as a society. You can't just refuse to advance and hold out as long as you can because you don't like the progress and where it's going necessarily. Uh, in these kinds of regards anyway. So an automated theater system, more spacing, smaller, smaller number of theaters. I think the other thing, and I mentioned this at Forbes, but I really think uh, it's going to be, it's it's necessary and it's what they're going to have to do is the theater experience needs to be a subscription service too. Like what AMC Stubbs is where you pay a fee and then you can go in and you have access to that theater to watch their content. And the reason what they need to do is say, we're going to charge a monthly fee, but it's going to be worth it because we don't just have these new movies with a shorter window of like, I'd say, don't just make it. If you're a theater, go to Disney Disney and everyone and make a, a deal for a seven to 10 day window theatrical. It's OK, because the key is you get those subscriptions. You have a brief period with those movies in a theater, even if it's just some of the bigger content and not everything, because we've talked about that, that like. You know, you're not going to necessarily keep seeing a movie for every Marvel character and every uh, Star Wars story. A lot of those will end up on streaming and then it will be the mm -hmm. big event moment, like the Avengers crossovers or the big one to two billion dollar performers are what's going to go in theaters. Everything else will go straight to streaming. So you've got that scenario. Well, if you're a theater, you don't just show movies anymore. You make a deal with the streaming services. That when their content, like game, like what they did with IMAX for Game of Thrones, they right. tested that out. You start putting other premium content. You make a deal to put that in your theater as well, so that when the premiere of the new season of Daredevil or, or the new season of Winter's, would you pay to go watch Winter Soldier, Absolutely. Falcon and Winter Soldier in a theater? Would you pay to see WandaVision, the entirety of it, to binge all of it? In an IMAX, I sure as hell would. Yeah. If they start doing that so that it's replicating, just as your home entertainment and the streaming is starting to replicate cinema, cinema needs to bridge the gap and start replicating the streaming experience because that's what the audiences want. It's about changing your price point, streamlining the, the, the process, and getting more content. You need the content. Okay, well, you know what? A studio can own a theater. Could a theater own a studio? What if AMC bought Sony, for example? If I was AMC or I was Cinemark or one of these others, I sure as hell would be crunching numbers about buying a studio. And now you've got your own exclusive content library. You can run oldies. You can run new stuff. All of that. And you can create a, that theater chain, AMC or whoever. Then you can make your own streaming service, too. And then you coordinate it. That's kind of an option now, right? I mean, or license content, yeah. old content to put in there. In your lobbies, you got to put that virtual reality stuff. Team up with The Void or whoever and put their stuff. Have a, a pop-up 
in your in the, related to content. This is the kind of thing that studios have to do. They don't have a choice. You either are going to do this kind of stuff and think these ways, or you're going to die as an industry or as a as an individual company. Uh, and Disney's been at the forefront of this for a long time. The theaters have seen it coming. You and I have seen it coming for sure. a while now. For years, in fact, we've talked about this. So if we're talking about it, everybody else has surely been talking about it as well that work at these places. The decision not to take enough action and not to act sooner is their own fault. And they're suffering for that now, but it is not too late. They could easily, as you said, take on that debt, take as much debt on as you can and completely revamp your entire system. But you need people in charge and making these decisions who can make those kind of decisions and who are looking forward and who understand these trends better because i i really don't think that it, the people making the choices right now for a lot of these theater chains i don't think they necessarily fully understand what's happening because if they did they wouldn't have done what they've done yeah i, I think they would already be much more aggressive in making changes for what's going to be expected and, and really required by consumers going forward i think that there's too much of an attempt to cling to what they had as opposed to going after what they can still go what they can still get and yeah. you know they're trying so hard to to just cling to what they had before and all of it's just slipping through their fingers all of it and yep. you know I, I think that they have to find more creative ways and and i don't i don't envy the position that they're in i don't envy having to overhaul your business model and figure out how it's going to work going forward but that's the position that they're in and meanwhile I think from the studio perspective, they have avenues to get their stories in front of audiences. And so for something like Mulan or something like Black Widow, yes, you would love to be able to show it to the audience in the best possible way, but you also want to just be able to show it to the audience in the ways that you can. And a lot of the audience is not as picky about how, where, and when they see movies uh, as many of us are. And so a lot yeah. of them are just happy to have access to the stories. Uh, and that's what they'll be looking for with Mulan. That's what they'll be looking forward to with Black Widow. And, you know, this is something that I, I think that Disney, I really think this is just the beginning because one last point before we wrap up here is something else that Bob Chapek said during the call. And they mentioned this multiple times during the call, but they are going to have a big investor day in a few months. They didn't announce an exact date. This is not just a quarterly earnings call that they normally have. They're going to have an investor day that they said is going to be focused on their plans to, there's that word, accelerate the push into the direct-to-consumer marketplace across our Disney+, Plus, Hulu, ESPN+, and Star Brands. So when we talk about the acceleration of trends and the evolution of the industry, this is where it's at. And Disney is very aware of that. And Disney is ready or getting ready to talk a lot more about it. So if Mulan is really a one-off and this is all, and this is just one little experiment they're going to do with Mulan and never going to attempt again, what's this investor day for? Uh, what's the whole, what are they accelerating as far as the push into direct-to-consumer? Bob Chapek right. opened the call talking about how direct-to-consumer is their top priority at the Walt Disney Company. He called it the key to the future of their company. So based on all the language that we're getting with streaming rightfully being the priority, because that's what makes sense, and doing things that bolster direct-to-consumer, which this Mulan release strategy absolutely does, 
to further those interests while also allowing them to make money and get revenue on a movie that they produce for theaters and be able to adopt that same strategy for other releases like Black Widow and other films going forward. I fully expect that this is not a one-off. This is the beginning of something brand new for Disney. There might be adjustments to it along the way. Right. And maybe ways that allow theaters to participate in ways that are more profitable for them. So maybe some of them have a chance to stay in business because there's also some interest there for Disney if they want to do that. So there might be some little changes here and there. But this idea, but the theatrical window between the AMC Universal deal and what Disney is doing now with Mulan, that's completely shattered. It's really a more of how things take shape from here. And that process is evolving. There's going to be some trial and error here. But I think Disney has a pretty strong foundation to start from with this strategy that they're having that they have for Mulan. Yeah, Disney's been ahead of the curve. Uh, Disney and Netflix have both been ahead of the curve. And uh, in terms of not just uh, understanding the nuances, but being willing to quickly assess that and, and wrap their heads around it and figure out, OK, now we have to we have to make plans and to act on it. And that's why, again, we, you and I have for years have talked about this inevitability and we've known this was going to happen. And we've been talking about this for so long now because it makes sense, because that's what you would do. That's what anyone who was Disney, who knew what they know and understood all this would do. This is the natural progression of things. And I don't think that Disney or any studio is going to fully abandon theatrical releases because that is such a big part of the of our culture it's such a big part of the industry mm -hmm. and there is so much legitimately so much money excuse right. me to be made off of it um and it can be done it's not an either or disney understands very clearly that they can have everything they want with the direct to consumer experience and still eat the cake at the theater yeah. they can have it and eat it too uh and i think the a lot of the critique of this and a lot of the frustration that people have felt a lot of that probably comes from misunderstanding the data or more importantly uh the fear and misunderstanding the potential that it creates i think people see it and think oh th if this wins then theaters lose and that that false binary uh, impression of the situation that the more that streaming succeeds and the more video on demand succeeds, the more theaters are going to lose is the wrong way to look at it. This is an this is going to happen. You can either accept it and prepare for it or you can stick your head in the sand and get kicked in the butt when it comes around the corner. Right now, theaters have been getting kicked in the butt uh, if they if they pay attention and they and again this sounds a lot harsher and i don't mean to to be insulting about it i understand the theaters are in a very tough situation people are hurting nobody expected it to be as bad as it, it is although i would argue they should have seen it coming and should have been preparing they've been slow to move but hey it's a business it's a crazy time but that's not too late now now you know now you see now you understand you can either Put those things together and come up with an actionable plan that saves your industry and saves your business, or you can flounder and resist it and in the long run lose a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money that you could have put towards preparing and staying alive, and instead now you're even further behind the curve. They don't have time for that anymore. This is accelerating, as Disney put it, 
fast, uh, faster than anyone anticipated, even faster than Disney anticipated. That's why they're kind of having to act in the moment, even though they have the plans and they know they're ha- they're hurrying to catch up to where things are already. Studios, all the other studios have to do that. They're all trying. The theater industry has to do it too. I'm confident that they will because they have faced bigger hurdles than this in the past. You know, cable TV. Uh, the internet, we all know that people have been heralding the end of cinema and the death mm. of cinema forever, and I've always resisted that. But I think there is also something to be said for uh, the straws on the camel's back, and I think there's so many times that you can keep overcoming those challenges, and I think there's a difference between being capable as an industry of overcoming it and succeeding at overcoming it. They're in a position where it's possible, and I'm confident they will because they have in the past, but they better get their act together and start doing it because there's also a chance that if they screw this up, they will fall by the wayside. And then theaters will swoop in, buy up, our studios will swoop in, buy up all the failed bankrupt theaters, and we will see a return to the old days where each theater chain is owned by a specific studio and the theater serves entirely the interests of the video on demand and streaming for those studios, it's going to happen. So the studio, the theaters just have to decide, do you want to be owned by the studio or do you want to do it yourself and keep a bigger portion of the pie? Well, thank you, Mark, for joining the uh, the MCU fan show. It's always fun to talk about this stuff with you. And uh, now I guess we can't blame Disney for tapping our phone calls. This one was recorded and published. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I love coming on and I love the chance. To, uh, and we it's been so long and we haven't had a yeah. chance to really go over all this and talk for a long time. And uh, I miss hanging out, miss going to premieres with you and uh uh, luckily, we're evolving with the changing times too. So theaters take a cue from us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're uh, we're evolving into people who wear the same clothes every day. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are. Um, yeah, but I, I think that well, of course, we hate the circumstances that created this. It, it as fans of the industry and as people who cover the industry, it's of course fascinating to observe all of this and and see how it goes. And, and I don't think that we're talking about the end of movie theaters. What we're talking about is I think the evolution of movie theaters, because everybody is in a position now where they have to evolve. Yeah. And somebody's going to write, I have to write a book someday with hindsight and look back and understand like it's at Disney is so far ahead of the curve. Think about how far ahead of the curve Netflix has been. Yep. They were, they were ahead of the curve 10 years they ago. They drew it. So yeah. They knew they were planning for this day mm-hmm. 10 years ago. So it's crazy. It's crazy. And they've helped make it happen, too. So it's, you know, that it's it's amazing. My thanks once again to Mark Hughes for joining me on this week's podcast. It was a lot of fun catching up with Mark and just podcasting with him once again. It had been a while since we had done a show together. So thanks again, Mark. And make sure for those of you listening that you're following him on Twitter at Mark Hughes Films. And you can also find his work at Forbes, Forbes.com slash sites slash Mark Hughes. But Mark isn't the only person that I need to thank this week. So thank you very much to Shane M, Chris T, Lauren G, Paul, and Joe F. They are some of the patrons who are supporting the show and receiving exclusive content over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. 
On that Patreon, you will find exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, including a series that we call Marvelous Moments, which is where I do scene breakdowns. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest. Other times it's just me. But we break down scenes from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, some of the best scenes from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we just posted earlier this week a new installment where I was talking about the get help scene from Thor Ragnarok, which is a really funny bit, but also so much more. One of the best scenes in the film and one of the most marvelous moments in the entire MCU in the entire Infinity Saga. So I hope you check that out. And if you do sign up for the Patreon, you get your own exclusive private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you get all of the Patreon exclusive podcasts as well as the main podcast. It's all in one feed, all in one place. You don't have to track it down through multiple feeds. And we also have, in addition to exclusive content, a Patreon-exclusive Discord community where we were listening to and reacting to all of the news that we were getting during the quarterly investor call back on Tuesday. We were listening to that together and talking about it and reacting to the news. We do office hour sessions, these group chats where we just talk Marvel or whatever else we feel like. We also have watch parties and we have video and audio chat available as well as text chat, which is always going over on the Discord. So for more information on all that we have to offer, please visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. And just another reminder, if you can, if you have the time, we would greatly appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts and also a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at MCU Fan Show. But that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I look forward to speaking with you next time. Until then, for the MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean Gerber. Take care.